We're going to be talking to Matt today, a second-year medical student. Uh, Matt is a non-traditional student and came back to medical school uh, in his mid-30s. We're going to talk about how he improved his application and how he maintains a healthy work-life play balance with him and his growing family. Matt also lives pretty far away from the medical school, and we're going to focus on how to commute up here to University of Utah from Utah County. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Medical Student Life. This is Dr. Chan. Um, I have uh, Matt, a uh, current second-year medical student, in my office today, um, and I'll let Matt kind of take over. Over and talk about who he is and where he's come from and where he's at. Okay, so um, as he said, I am a MS2 this year. Um, I am a non-traditional student, so my situation might resonate with some of you and some of you might not be able to relate at all, but hopefully this uh, could be of help to some people. Uh, I am 38 years old and have five kids, so it's definitely not a typical situation. Um, it was one of those things where I was like, is med school something I can even do at this stage of my life? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not where most people are at, at at 38. Usually people are settled into a career and, and kind of have everything uh, established at that point. And let me jump in here, Matt. Um, so what did you do for a career? I mean, what was your path like? Sure. So um, I was a musician for a long time. Oh. I've been a musician for most of my life. I was out in California for a while playing with a band and... Um, I've played uh, drums for almost 30 years, and um, and uh, after that, um, kind of decided I wanted to do something that was a little more of a stable life for my family. Uh, so I started my own business. It was a custom door business in the construction industry, and I also built uh, custom furniture. I had an art minor in college in sculpture, and so... Um, <clears throat> did that for a long time. That was heavily dependent on the economy um, in construction, obviously. So when everything went downhill there, um, medicine was what I kind of always wanted to do but wasn't serious enough to do as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so um, at this point I had figured, well, you know, it's time for a change, and I think my life now reflects that I've become serious enough and grown up enough where maybe this is something I could actually go out and pursue. And so... At that point, my uh, degree was in language and literature and an art minor, so I had no science or math or anything like that. So I had to come back and do all my pre-med prereqs and everything like that. So how old were you when you decided to go back to school? Um, So I was 34, I believe. Okay. And how many kids did you have at that time? Uh, When we moved back out here, I had four kids. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, my youngest was about one years old, one year old, and so we had four, and we just had one barely a year ago. So. Okay, congratulations! So, thirty-four years old, talking to your family, saying, "Hey, I want to go back to medical school." Were they supportive? Did they call you crazy? How did that? How that discussion go? Um, surprisingly enough, when I first uh, talked about it with my wife, um, I think kind of the the general consensus among everybody was. Well, this is kind of what we always thought you would do, and none of us wanted to say you aren't living up to your expectations, but you know we always expected something a little more of you and so so everybody was very supportive that way and and kind of as if this was what they had always imagined things turning out like mm-hmm. um, but it was definitely an adjustment. We had lived in St. George for seven years, all our friends were down there um, uh, we loved our our life down there and 
to kind of drop everything and come up here was definitely a little bit of an adjustment. And uh, But the biggest thing for me was that my wife was completely on board. This was something she knew we uh, we needed to do. And, um, you know, to, to go through something like this, if you're married, you definitely have to have a, a spouse who is mm-hmm. – who's on board with this decision. So Okay. So it sounds like you wanted to stay in Utah. So obviously yes. you applied. Did you get in your first year? I did. Okay. Congratulations. That's, yep. I actually didn't have time to pull your file. So that's, uh, <laughs> right. we're kind of navigating this together. Um, what attracted you to stay in Utah? Why, why the University of Utah School of Medicine? Um, <clears throat> well, originally I had said to myself, you know, because we had lived in St. George for seven years, and now we had been uh, here for undergrad again for three years doing my prereqs. And I had thought, you know, I think I want to I want to go outside of Utah and explore some other options, have my kids kind of see everything that was out there. But the more um, the more I talked to people here on Upper Campus, and the more I was involved in pre med activities where we got to come up here and see the school, um, the more I just started feeling like, you know, I think I want to stay here. Um, I had talked, to, I had a bunch of other friends who had who had gone to different medical schools and mm-hmm. talked about how competitive everything was, and you know, not like this is this is always going to be a competitive field, but how cutthroat it was among students and and uh, you know how the the faculty were just you were just kind of a number at a lot of these other schools and everybody I was talking to at Utah was talking about how supportive uh, the medical student community was and and having a, a big sib you know a, a mentor that you come in and uh, automatically get advice from and support from and how everything was set up in such a supportive manner you know and then add that to the fact that I've got I've got family here in Utah and we're kind of already had you know, grown some little roots here in the last mm-hmm. three years. Um, it just kind of all came together, and I just felt like then it just came from a point where I was like, oh, I just want to go to a different school to, man, now it's just like I had two other interviews that when I got accepted to Utah, I just didn't even go to my other interviews. I was I knew this is where I wanted to go to. Well, I'm glad we got you, Matt. Um, going back to, you know, I, I go out and do a lot of presentations, and always I'm approached by non-traditional students afterwards, and I, I know it's hard. They, they tell me that you know they have families, they have jobs, and you know, truth be told, we do have very specific criteria. You know, going above and beyond the pre-med recs. You know, there's the MCAT, the GPA, you know, organic chemistry, things like that. But we also have leadership uh, criteria, community service, research, things like that. Matt, what would you say? I mean, what was the hardest for you to accomplish, and how did you go about accomplishing that? So. Um, well, first of all, I would say with these other things. Um, this should be something that you try to make your life about already, you know, not, not to do as something that is a requirement to get into medical school. I think that was one of the things that I had going for me was before I even came back to school, I was already involved. You know, I own my own business. I was already involved in leadership. I was involved with my church. So I already was volunteering and doing service and things like that. That was already something that was on my radar before I even decided I was going to go back to medical school. And so doing those kind of things, yes, it's it's kicking that all up three or four notches, you know, and doing a lot more. For me, the hardest part was being gone from my family more than I was used to. Um, my my business was always a home based business, so it was being gone with my family, and it was trying to find ways to to get more face time with them and to be around them more. But but besides that, you know, it's just it's doing a lot more probably than you're used to. And so the biggest the biggest obstacle is just learning how to to multitask and to organize your time and make sure that you can fit in everything that you're wanting to do 
to make sure they understand how multifaceted you are and and a, what an attractive candidate you are. You have to kind of have all your ducks lined up and and um, really be able to get a lot of different things going on. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, so Matt, you got in. Uh, you're a second year now, so first year, um, you know, kind of big adjustment going from, you know, non-medical student to medical student life. How was that as, you know, someone with five children? So I was worried, you know, when I went into undergrad, being a non-traditional student, I was very, not panicked, but very... I was just like, I need to get into medical school. And so I went out and just did everything, like, as hardcore as I could do it. You know, I was doing 40 hours a week of extracurricular activities and things like that. And so actually, when I started medical school, I I was worried, you know, like, well, if I'm doing this now, what's it going to be like in med school? You know, it's even going to be worse. And I ended up having actually more time to be with my family. And I had to learn to try to balance everything a little bit more you know now i was into school you know i had gotten accepted and so now i knew well this is the career path that i'm going to be on for the rest of my life i have to learn to find some sort of a balance here um and so you know it just came down to what are my priorities my priority was definitely my family and then school um so i knew the things that i had to get done with school how can i do those things and be around my family a little bit more so we kind of rearranged things in our house so i could have an office at home um, I was able to go home and study. The kids knew the rules. If dad's studying, you know, make sure and, and give him some time in there. And he'll come out. And, you know, I was able to come out and, and spend good time with them. I was able to take my laptop. I had apps on my phone where I could go and study and flip through flashcards at their soccer games and things like that. You know, so I just tried to make it to where I was studying more at home or at least in an area where they could come visit me a lot more. And... um you know, especially in the second year when you have your classes done at noon and the rest of the day to study, it's been great. You know, I get to see my family a lot. And so all these worries that I had about never getting to see my family in medical school, I know things will pick up a little bit in third year and things like that, but I've gotten to see them a lot in these first two years. That's great, Matt. So can you, like, like just to educate people, what's a typical day for you like as a second-year medical student here? As a second-year student, well, for me, uh, um, this is something that some of you will have to deal with as well. I'm a commuter, and so I wake up at about 5.30 every morning to catch the train and the bus uh, to come up to campus, and it's a great system for me. Um, It's long. I spend two to three hours a day on transport every day. Um, but for me, I just think of that as like my little mobile li- library, you know, where I just study the entire time. Um, the transport is very well set up and very convenient for uh, Utah students. And so I can study, especially early in the morning like that, um, get good uninterrupted study uh, for the entire way. And so um, so I, I catch this transport up and I it gets me up there for class at 8 o'clock in the morning. So we have classes. We have uh, different lectures, different clinical experiences and things like that that go from 8 until 12 every day. And then from 12 on, you know, I might, I'm involved in student government, and so I might have some meetings or things like that. And once every other uh, week, we have four hours of time that we spend in the clinic. But besides that, um, we get a nice solid block set aside for studying. And so we can go back, review the lectures. We can listen to all them all on podcasts, things like that. Um, 
great resources, great study areas and stuff. So it's nice to have that solid block. That was something I never got in undergrad. It was like study 40 minutes here when you can find it, and now I've got this meeting on the other side of campus. It's nice to be able to have dedicated study time. What time do you get back home? Um, well, now, uh, if I don't have any meetings or anything like that, I can usually leave campus around 1 o'clock, and uh, so I usually get home by 3 and I'm able to study and stuff that way. When I was in my first year, when the schedules are opposite, we get done at 5 o'clock. Um, so I can still get home by, by 7 or 8 at night and still be able to see my kids and say goodnight before they go to bed and everything. Fantastic. Man, I get a lot of questions, again, from non-traditional students or applicants. I mean, on the weekends, do you have time to kind of participate in your children's activities or have a date night with your wife or things like that? Um, no matter what the... No matter what I have going on, if I have tests or something like that the next Monday, um, my wife and I always try to at least have the nights be ours. A lot of the times you're studying all day long on Saturday. Not so much in the, especially in the first half of the first year, but after that, and especially second year, you're usually studying all day Saturday. A lot of people study all day on Sunday. I actually try not to do that. I, I wake up early on Mondays. Um, to be able to have Sunday just to be a family day with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but Saturday night, Friday night, we always have that set aside mm-hmm. for for just me and my wife to be able to go out and have a date uh, or at least just hang out at home and, and just be able to relax a little bit. That's great. And how often are the tests now in second year? How uh, You mentioned Monday tests. So how right. often are those? So in first year, it's every week for the first half of the year. And then after that and throughout second year, you have exams every other week. And so usually it's on a Monday, and so you kind of study and blast through the weekend in order to be ready Monday morning to take your exam at 8 a.m. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned studying. I mean, are you part of any study groups, or do you, are you more of kind of a solo studier? Uh, yeah, and everybody, everybody does it differently. For me, um, before I do any study group, I have to make sure I have the material kind of down myself first. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I will, I will study the material first, make sure that I have a good grasp of it. So then, when I come into the study group, I can actively participate in that. I find if I just go and and after lecture, just sit down with a study group, um, none of us really know what's going on. It ends up being a little bit of a, a non-efficient uh, use of time. So I kind of do a little bit here and a little bit there. But for the most part, I study on my own, and especially since I like to do a lot of my studying at home. Um, But I also find that, you know, it's a great group of students up here. And so if you come kind of being prepared into these group study groups, you get a lot lot out of it. Mm -hmm. I know during second year, we have a program called SCE, or Specialty Clinical Experience, where you're paired with a provider – usually in the community, who's a specialist, like a cardiologist, dermatologist, something like that. Who are you with right now? Um, well, are you talking about SCE or LCE? Bo- I guess both. <laughs> okay, so. both. So SCE is more um, specialized experiences, and so each time you do it, it's a different experience, and it's usually for each unit that you do, which is usually two months, um, you have two experiences that you go to. And so, for instance, this unit, um, one of my experiences is a a patient interviewing experience. So it's not really specific to any subspecialty. But the other experience was working in the burn unit, which for me, that was an amazing thing. I want to go into surgery, and burns is actually something that I've looked um, very seriously at. And so it's great to just be able to go in there. The, The physician 
was wonderful. He was constantly showing me things and saying, now look at this and notice this mm-hmm. and asking me questions and asking if I had any questions. And he was very attentive to me being there and trying to make it a learning experience for me. And so it's great to be able to kind of go in there and get your hands dirty a little bit and see what other people are doing, you know, but they have other things where you're working in the, the pediatric intensive units. Um, you're, um, working in neurology, you're work, I mean, in anesthesia, I mean, they have you all over the hospital getting to get a lot of good exposure before you go into your third year clerkships. So you can kind of see what's out there. Um, but in addition to that, we have what's called LCE, which is the longitudinal clinical experience. And that's the one that I mentioned where every other week um, you go and do four hours in a clinic. Mm-hmm. And that can be <clears throat> one of three ways. Either you can go into it um, in family practice, in which case you'll stay with the same family practitioner through your entire experience, which is a year and a half before you go into clerkships. Or you start out in either pediatrics or internal medicine. And then halfway through, so we're getting ready to rotate here in a couple weeks, you will rotate so that you can experience more um, older patients and more young patients. So you get uh, kind of a variety. A variety, mm-hmm. yep. So. Excellent. And so what, like, with you being so far away, did they work with you to give you a clinic a little bit closer to home, or is that possible, or how does that work? You know, they, they did. They made it. They made that a definite consideration. I mean, you know, there weren't any clinics that were super close to me, but at being a commuter, they gave me one that was more on my way to school. Um, <clears throat> so I actually, yeah, I'm one where I, I can take uh, the tracks or the kind of the streetcar uh, version of our transport out here. Um, I can take that all the way out to the clinic and then be able to, to catch it back to my car and stuff afterwards after class. Um but yeah, they they definitely they have you fill out a whole questionnaire to know where you're at and any sort of special considerations they might need to take into account in order to get you assigned to a good clinic. Fantastic. And right now you're you're in brain behavior, correct? Yes. Uh, tell me some more about brain behavior. What kind of block is it? Who teaches it? What are the classes like? Sure. Um, brain and behavior has actually been my favorite unit so far. Um, you know, you go through phase one, which is your you know, all of your basic science review and stuff to kind of get everybody on the same page. And then after that, you do molecule cells and cancer and then host and defense, which is, you know, talking about different kinds of infections and drugs that you would use along with that. And then you do brain and behavior. So it's a two-month unit, and it's taught this year by Dr. Renner. And he is just an amazing neurologist here at the U. And it's one of those things where neurology was never really on my radar. Like I said, I wanted to do something surgical. But now I've found myself, and I think a lot of students have shared this, thinking about, oh, well, neurology would be interesting. You know, it's just so fascinating what the brain does for you and things that you take for granted that you never even think about, what the, what the brain is, is helping you do until something gets knocked out in the brain. Mm-hmm. And then you see how that manifests in a patient. And it's just so interesting, and there's so much problem solving and troubleshooting and things like that. It's just uh, it's a very fascinating course, and it's been very, very well-organized, well-thought-out, and well-taught. It's just been an awesome unit. Yeah, I think it's one of the longest blocks because, quite frankly, I think probably the brain is the most complex organ there is. I just know it's one of the more intensive, longest blocks, but also, as you said, one of the more popular and well-taught blocks right. as well. 
So, so yeah, I think Dr. Renner does a fantastic job. He has a very high standard that all the other units aspire to. Yes. So, so sure. what's next after brain behavior? What's on the horizon? Um, so next we have a unit called CRR, and that's going to be covering our cardiovascular, respiration, and our renal. Um, and so that, supposedly, from what they say, is going to be a very challenging unit, but it's one of those units that, like brain and behavior, is a very high-yield unit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> things that you will see all the time when you go out into the wards or go into clinic. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's one of the things that's been kind of fun to see this unit is I've been amazed when I go to my clinical experience how much of the stuff that I'm seeing in clinic that we just talked about in class, you know, as we talk about Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or things like that, um, and the drugs that we've been talking about, to be able to see those in clinic and then actually to be able to apply that kind of stuff has been amazing. And I know that that will be the same as we go into CRR, talk about cardiovascular and respiration mm-hmm. and things like that. So Excellent. Another question I got a lot, Matt, I actually don't know the answer to this, is when you take the tests in brain behavior, do they kind of build on each other? And is there like a cumulative final at the end? Or how is that set up in medical school? Um, so usually the way it works is every week you take a test that isn't cumulative. I mean, it, it's, it's basically on the last two weeks of material. But there are going to be certain principles, certain concepts that are presented early in the course that you have to maintain throughout the exams in order to understand what's going on. So in that way, there is a cumulative aspect to it, but all of the detail, the fine detail and things like that is just over the last two weeks. Then once you get to the end of the unit, usually what will happen is you will take a clinical skills exam um, where in the very beginning you kind of get a broad overview of how to do a physical exam and clinical skills. And so you will you'll kind of be tested on doing the entire physical exam. As you get into these more specialized units, then they start having you do more of a focused physical exam. So this, uh, this exam that we'll do will be mainly focused on neurology and psychiatry and things like that, things that we've learned in this unit, being able to apply that towards a diagnosis, possibly being able to prescribe drugs that will help to to work with these uh, diagnoses that you've come up with. So every time, you know, it makes it a little more challenging, a little bit more problem solving. You're responsible for a little bit more. But it's kind of exciting that way because you're getting to apply the things that you've learned. So, But then in addition to that, um, for instance, we have a, a neuroanatomy wet lab uh, final that we're going to have to take where we're actually doing uh, identifications on brain specimen uh, that we have up there in the lab. And then in addition to that, you do have your cumulative end-of-the-unit final that does cover everything that you've talked about over the last nine weeks. Fantastic. And, Matt, you mentioned student government. Can you tell me more about what your position is and how that's set up here at the medical school? Sure. I'm one of the co-presidents for the second year. And so um, for every year, you have two presidents um, representing each uh, year in school. And then you also have three student body officers that are basically like your student body presidents that come from the fourth-year class. So fourth-year class will have two co-presidents as well as three student body officers that will govern everything. Um, And that's been a great experience. It's something you are elected to. Um, Congratulations. You ran a very successful campaign. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a a great experience because, uh, you know, once a month you get to sit down with – all of the deans, and you get to talk about everything that's going on in the school. You get to talk about problems, about concerns, about areas for improvement. Um, 
and you get to be an active part in mm-hmm. in making positive change and stuff for the school, as well as being involved in planning all of the the fun activities that we get to do. Yeah. I you know I agree, Matt, because like the way I see it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that the student body presidents or the student class presidents have kind of a dual role. Number one, kind of planning different activities, things like that. But also number two, kind of acting like as a liaison between the powers that be and the, and the, and your class and, and kind of, you know, having open dialogue about any issues that may arise and things like that. Would, would you kind of agree with that assessment? I would for yeah. sure. And, and it's great. You know, we, we have students come up to us all the time and <clears throat> say, what, you know, what do you think the school would think about this? Or is there any way maybe we could implement something like this? And obviously, you know, you can't, you can't cater to every single individual, but there are a lot of things that people bring up that are really good ideas, you know, and, and that's what's great is the ideas come from the students, you know, and so we're able to bring those ideas from the students mm-hmm. to a, a group that will listen and will will take consideration of, of all these different things, knowing that the students know best kind of what they're going through on a day-to-day basis. What's a good idea that's come up in the past? You can give me an example of. Um, well, uh, let's see. Not to put you on the spot. Sure. Well, <laughs> you know, I know that there's, you know, right now we we live in a campus, you know, and you you uh, you have medical students who stay up here late and and are studying and things like that, and so you know, obviously things like safety are a concern, and and so we've had a a really good um, amount of student input into to addressing safety on the campus and things like that, and and different ideas they've had about having. Uh, you know, patrols outside in the parking lot and things like that and being able to get escorts and things. And so, so So I'll jump in. So yeah, student safety does come up and, uh, the Dean's office, the, the health science, everyone takes this very seriously. So yeah, I know there's been an increased emphasis on this because not that there's a, has been any incident that's occurred. There hasn't been, but it's more as the perception of wanting to feel safe. Sure. And we take that very seriously. Sure. You know, obviously prevention is the best, the best policy. And so like, like you said, you know, there there hasn't been any issues, you know, and so and I think that's been great and it's been a testament to, you know, students having a concern and then faculty addressing that and, mm-hmm. and everything's been great. Cool. Well, we're almost out of time, Matt. One thing I want to talk to you about is your communion experience. I'm very curious. So where do you live right now? I live in a town called Highland. So it's in Utah County, so it's the next county south from Salt Lake County. And by car, how long would it take to drive <coughs> here from Highland? Um, it usually takes, depending on what time of day you're doing, um, if it was a straight shot with no traffic, it would probably take me 45 minutes to drive here. Okay. But you mentioned you take um, the bus and then you take the train, the front runner, correct? Mm-hmm. And then do you, and I think it, you, you have to make a transfer to tracks is the streetcar. It, de- it depends on which direction I'm going. If I'm coming up in the morning, um, I take the train from Utah County up to Salt Lake Central Station. And then it's actually very nice and very convenient. If you if you come early in the morning, there is actually an express bus waiting for every train that you just get off the train, hop on the express bus, and it takes you straight up to the U mm-hmm. without all the intermediate stops. Um, if you go later in the day, there is always a regular city bus that will just make its regular stops, and it will take you up to the U, as well as a connection in Murray to uh, connect to tracks and go up. Uh, to campus, but then on the way back, I usually catch uh, tracks from the from the hospital up here, which is right in front of the hospital. 
take it to Murray and then connect to my train and it takes me back home. And your student ID, you're not paying money, right? Your student ID, right. gets this is all free with your student ID. It's correct? all included with my tuition. And okay. so on your student ID, you just are able to tap on and off, they call it, where you just kind of scan your card as you go on and off the transport. So since you use it almost every day, um, are people starting to recognize you? I mean, are you? do you have this presence? Are you the medical student that always has your textbooks <laughs> out studying? Tell me more about um, that. Yeah, actually, the, especially the train hosts – um, who are always kind of the same um, on certain trains and stuff at certain times. They they do. They always know kind of what I'm doing. They ask me what I'm studying for in school and things like that. There are certain people. It's always interesting, you know, if you go home late at night, you you get the colorful characters on, on transport, you know, and I've got a, a couple of guys with uh, really long beards who like to come and sit and talk to me about school, you know, and I'm always happy to talk with those guys. Uh, are you starting to field medical questions? Are people starting to show you moles and <laughs> oh, sure. ask, asking your opinion on those? Sure, and what's oh. exciting is people would do that to me in pre-med, and I had no idea what anything was, you know. I was like, talk to me about chemistry or biology or something. But the fun thing is actually being able to have some sort of an answer and stuff when people ask you that kind of stuff now. That's great. So. And it sounds like that's a good study space for you. It sounds like there's Wi-Fi uh, on the front runner at least. Is Wi-Fi on the tracks or? Um, no. Okay. There's, there's nothing on the tracks. But, yes, on the train there mm-hmm. is wireless on there as well as um, there's tables and plug-ins, things like that. So it really is a good functional study space. Yeah. Well, I guess last question, Matt. Are, are you a rock star down Highland? We don't have too many medical students living down in Highland, Utah. So uh, what's, your, what's your reputation like in the community down there? Well, I think people think I'm crazy because everybody that I associate <laughs> down with there is my age. And they're just constantly saying, oh, I can never do that at this age. You know, and they The commute just, or going to medical school? Well, both. Okay. But, but, yeah, especially going to medical school at this age. You know, everybody, like I said, is pretty established or – or whatever, you know, they can't imagine starting over and going back to school. But for me, it's been the greatest thing I could do. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here, Matt. I, I think your story is very profound, and I hope it will help those out there who, you know, are having thoughts about pursuing another career, have always had dreams about becoming a doctor. And I think your story like, gives them a lot of hope, so I really appreciate you coming in and it's sharing It's never it. too late, All for right. sure. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, Dr. Chan. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.